Well, this shepherd's psalm is one of the most well-known and well-loved of all the psalms. In fact, an argument could probably be made that this is one of the the best-known chapters in the entire Bible. So many people have found comfort and encouragement in this beautiful psalm. And to tell you the truth, it's a little bit intimidating to get up and to speak about this because I know it's so beloved by people. And and when you begin to pick it apart and examine it, sometimes that that feels like it might be just ruining the whole experience. But I'm hoping that as we do kind of pick it apart and examine each turn of phrase, that it will become that much more meaningful to each and every one of us. Charles Spurgeon, that Victorian minister, said, This is the pearl of the Psalms whose soft and pure radiance delights every eye. Of this delightful song, it may be affirmed that its piety and its poetry are equal. Its sweetness and its spirituality are unsurpassed. David Gibson, in his book, The Lord of Psalm 23, writes this. Psalm 23 is a superlative song of confident trust in God. Its words of praise radiate with delight in the Lord as they cause us to worship Him for who he is and what he does. These short six verses are a window into the 66 books of Scripture, and they take us through the whole story of redemption in an elevated, majestic, and also personal, intimate way. I think it's probably impossible to speak too highly of this psalm. And as we look over this psalm in the Sundays to come, I I do hope that it becomes um, to you a, a pearl in the book of Psalms, and not just a pearl, but something that anchors your life. So we're going to call our study today, The Lord is My Shepherd, and we're just going to be in verse 1 today as we begin to examine what this passage says. And so it opens up with these words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You may notice there that word Lord is capitalized. And already we're running into a little bit of problems with the translation because the way it looks in English when it says the Lord, it sounds like a title. But in the original language, it is not a title. It's actually a name. And so as we unpack this, let's notice who the shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd. You see those words in the scripture as you read them, capitalized. That's the way translators are giving you an indication that this is the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. Most people would translate this as, I am who I am. I love the way my seminary professor put it. Ralph Davis said, I will be present is what I will be. That was his translation of it. And this name was first revealed to Moses. You may remember the story of the burning bush when Moses, this Hebrew who was a prince of Egypt, was out and he saw this bush, this bush on fire, but it was not being consumed. And as he drew near to it, he heard the voice of God speaking to him, calling him to go back into Egypt and to liberate these Hebrew slaves. And the scriptures tell us, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, Yahweh. I am that I am. God also said to Moses, say, to this, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So when we come to this 23rd Psalm, and it begins with the words, the Lord, 
Don't see a title there. See the personal name of God as he revealed himself to these Old Testament Hebrews when he liberated them from slavery. Slavery. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, hits the significance of this. He says, The name literally means, I am who I am. It is an inexhaustible name, like its bearer. Chiefly, it refers to God's timelessness on the one hand and to his self-sufficiency on the other. Self-sufficiency means that God needs nothing. He needs no wisdom from anyone else. He has all wisdom in himself. He needs no power. He is all-powerful. He does not need to be worshipped or helped or served. Timelessness means that God is already the same in these eternal traits or attributes. He was like this yesterday. He will be like this tomorrow. He will be unchanged and unchangeable forever. He is the great I am. The psalm opens up with these weighty words. Yahweh, I am, the great I am, is my shepherd. I want to take just a little bit of a rabbit trail and just indicate for us how Jesus took this title to himself. You may remember in the Gospel of John, he's butting heads with the religious leaders of his day, and they accuse him of, of, of being a bastard child. And he's in this argument with them, and he tells them that they are actually children of the devil, that if they were truly God's children, they would recognize him. And he said these words, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Abraham lived several thousand years before the time of Jesus. And Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. He, he saw me arriving, and he rejoiced. And they're like, what? You're crazy. You're not even 50 years old. How can you say that Abraham has seen you? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Jesus took this divine name to himself, and they responded probably in ways that they thought were appropriate. If this man is claiming to be Yahweh, he needs to die. No man can claim this. Except for Jesus did. And what's interesting, Jesus didn't say, oh, you misunderstood me. Let, me. let me rephrase that. He took that name to himself. David Gibson, once again, says, Jesus took the divine name that God revealed to Moses in the burning bush, and he effectively applied it to himself. I am the Lord. The Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, is Yahweh himself, which means he is our sufficient Savior. So when we open these words and we see the Lord, hear, hear it not as a title, hear it as a name. It's Yahweh, the eternally self-existent, absolutely self-sufficient divine being who spoke this universe into existence. He is your shepherd. He is your good shepherd who became human in the person of Jesus. So David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Pay attention to how the Lord is described. He describes himself as a shepherd. David describes him as a shepherd, shepherd here. Let me ask you this question. What comes to your mind when you think of a shepherd? I don't know if any of us have, have done any shepherding in this room. That's probably out of our, our history of experience. But just think about this. If you, if you were a shepherd, what would that be like? I don't know about you, but I, I tend to have kind of these pastoral scenes of beauty with mountains in the background and sheep that are obedient to me. But back in the day, 
this was not the case. This was a dirty job. Nobody wanted it. You were with the sheep 24-7, and they smelled, and you smelled, and you walked in their stuff, and, and you had to fight off predators. I mean, it's, this was a difficult job and very much a thankless job. James Montgomery Boyce once again helps us out. He writes, In Israel, as in ancient societies, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all works. If a family needed a shepherd, it was always the youngest son, like David, who got this unpleasant assignment. Shepherds had to live with the sheep 24 hours a day, and the task of caring for them was unending. Day and night, summer and winter, in fair weather and foul, they labored to nourish, guide, and protect the sheep. And then Boyce asked this question, who in his right mind would choose to be a shepherd? I mean, no one would. This, this is the job that was assigned to you if you had no position and no power. And so David describes the Lord as my shepherd. Spurgeon once again said, what condescension is this? That the infinite Lord assumes toward himself the position and character of a shepherd. I don't know if this is hitting you the way I want it to hit you, but, but God, who has created all things in this imagery, takes the form of a shepherd to care for sheep like you and me. Also, observe how personal this is. The Lord is my shepherd. David's not just simply saying, the Lord is a shepherd, or the Lord is a shepherd to, to many kinds of people, but he says, the Lord is my shepherd. This, this creator of all things is my shepherd. Spurgeon put it beautifully. The sweetest word of the whole is that monosyllable, my. The Lord is my shepherd. If he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me, watches over me, and preserves me. This is the experience of David. This is the experience of Charles Spurgeon. This is the experience of so many people through the years. Not simply that God exists, but the God who exists is my shepherd. And so let's see how relevant this is as well. Not that the Lord was, not that the Lord will be, but the Lord is. Right now, he's caring for me. Right now, he's looking after me. Right now, he's preparing for me. So let me ask you this question. Do you know at a deep, experiential level what David is talking about here? This creator that David knew as his shepherd, he wants us to know as our shepherd as well. And so let me ask you again, do you know at a deep, experiential level what David is talking about here? Let me put those descriptors back up on the screen. We've just gone through five words, and yet there's so much to unpack there. Let's move on. The Lord is my shepherd, David writes, I shall not want. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian and heard this psalm, that was an utterly confusing phrase in my mind. I had this objection in my head. Maybe you do as well. That sounds like he doesn't want his shepherd, Right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and when I first heard this as a high school student, I'm like, well, why doesn't he want a shepherd? That's how it sounded to me. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that. David Gibson in his commentary helps us out here. He says, the word want would be better rendered lack. The word want 
in the translation has come down to us from the King James Version of the Bible, where the Elizabethan uh, word meant not so much to desire something as to lack it, as in the phrase, to be found wanting. So it's interesting to look at how some different translations get at this. My translation said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But there are other translations that put it like this. There is nothing I lack. I will not lack for anything. I have everything I need. I have what I need. Someone might say, well, I, I can think of lots of things that I want that I don't have. But this psalm is, is reforming us and it's reshaping us to understand that if you have the Lord God as your shepherd, you really do have everything. I like to put it like this. Since the Lord is my shepherd right now, what more do I need? This perhaps is an Old Testament way of saying what Paul later on would write, the apostle, when he said, having nothing and yet possessing everything. David is this lowly shepherd. He's not in palaces yet. He's not leading the nation of Israel yet. He's a shepherd. And he sees God as his shepherd. And because of that, he has everything that he needs. If we see in Jesus our great shepherd, we understand that Jesus himself pledges to guide us and to nourish us and to care for us. And Jesus thinks that if we understand his care for us, the, the, the Father's care for us, then that should make all the difference in the world. You remember these words from the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, King Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that is the nations, seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is Jesus doing here? He's calling us to take our eyes off all the things in this world that worry us and to put them on God. And David here might say, this God is our shepherd. I don't know about you, but probably most of us don't think about, oh, what should I eat today? Well, I mean, we do. Like, what, what restaurant are we going to? And it's not, it's not an issue of, of life and death. And probably not many of us say, well, what am I going to wear today? I mean, we do in the sense that we go to our closet and look and see what's there and put it on. But these are not life and death issues. And yet Jesus says, if God takes care of your life and death issues, you can trust him with everything else. So don't worry. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the great king. Seek this one who makes himself known as the shepherd. And so, since the Lord is my shepherd, what more do I need? 
What more do you really need? Let me ask us this question. What if Psalm 23 became more than just a familiar poem, but our actual lived experience? What if, what if this psalm was like a banner over our life, and we didn't just read it at funerals, which is fine to do, but it actually became our lived experience? What if you woke up tomorrow morning, and whatever you saw ahead of you in your week, you were absolutely confident that God is going to shepherd you through that? What difference would that make in your life? Well, a couple points of application. The first one is this. Let's see the good shepherd in the face of Jesus. I've already hinted at this some, but Jesus said these words. We read a portion of this earlier in our service. The thief comes only to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, if you were to ask any Hebrew living at the time of Jesus, who is the good shepherd? They would say, well, that's obvious. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who watches over me. And yet Jesus takes that title to himself, saying that I am the good shepherd. He goes on and says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, and I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, he wants you to know that you are eternally secure in his love. No one can snatch you out of his hand. He is the great shepherd, and he will shepherd you throughout the course of your life and make sure that you make it safely into his kingdom. So rest in him. The book of Hebrews actually calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. Not only is he the shepherd of the sheep, not only is he the good shepherd of the sheep, but he is the great shepherd of the sheep. In Jesus, you have everything that you could possibly need. Here's a second point of application. Let's take our stand on the truth that Jesus will shepherd us. There are a lot of things in this world that offer to shepherd you, aren't there? Fame promises to shepherd you. Money in your bank account promises to shepherd you. The approval of others promises to shepherd you. Getting in that right relationship promises to shepherd you. And without commenting on how good or how bad each one of those things may be, they can become substitutes for the one who is the good shepherd. And so in saying, let's take our stand on the truth that Jesus would shepherd us, let's make it our confession that he and he alone is the one that we look to to shepherd us through this life. Henry Law, the Puritan, in his commentary on the book of Psalms says this, Happy is the soul looking to Jesus as the great, the good, the one shepherd can add in truth, and he is mine. I have heard his calling voice. I have seen his inviting smile. I have fled to him. I have entered his fold. I have committed myself to his guardian care. He has received me. He has given me most gracious welcome. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. How can need be mine? 
He who who is pledged to my support has all resources in his hand. He has all power in heaven and on earth. You see what law said? I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. How can need be mine if my beloved is mine? How can need be mine if the shepherd is mine? Let's take our stand on this and determine to trust Christ with our whole life. And here's the third and final point of application. Let's internalize Psalm 23 for continual comfort and perspective. I venture to guess that if if people have more than just a verse here and there memorized, if they've endeavored to memorize a bigger chunk of Scripture, Psalm 23 might be one of those places that have been memorized. If you have not memorized Psalm 23, let me challenge you to do so. It's just six verses long, and it flows so easily together so that you can have it internalized and call to mind when you need to walk yourself off that cliff, (laughs) when you're about to go under for that procedure and you're scared and you wonder how it's going to be, when your loved one leaves you. Let this psalm in the hands of the great shepherd shepherd you so that you can begin to pray through it and meditate on it. You can say things like this. Jesus, you are my shepherd. Like a frightened sheep, I'm hearing things that scare me, unnerve me, things that make me anxious. Help me to remember that you are my shepherd right here and right now. You have promised to never leave me nor forsake me. Cause me to rest in the fact that with you as my shepherd, I have everything I need to face this moment. Amen. How would things change for you if you were able to take the words of Psalm 23 and to pray them back to God as an act of faith, as an act of trust, as an act of daring to put yourself under his kind protection and care? Harriet Ward Beecher, in a work called Life Thoughts, spoke of Psalm 23 as a pilgrim sent by God to bring us safely into the kingdom of God. Listen to how he puts this. Speaking about this psalm, he says, This pilgrim God has sent to speak in every language of the globe. It has charmed more Greece to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains. Nor is its work done. It will go singing to your children and my children and to their children throughout all generations of time nor will it fold its wings till the last pilgrim is safe and time ended. And then it shall fly back to the bosom of God whence it issued and sound on, mingled with all those sounds of celestial joy which make heaven musical ever. What a beautiful statement that is. Let this psalm shepherd you to the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves you and gave himself for you. You and I will be richer for it.